there is definitely a, a feeling of like, say I check, you know, Twitter first thing in the morning when I wake up and there's just the sense of, oh my God, like, you know, a fascist regime is imminent. The environment is collapsing. You know, that, that like gloom and doom sense of like, it's a relentless bad news and no one cares except for the other people in my Twitter feed. And we're not real anyway. That feeling is not a feeling that I have when I consume news, like in the newspaper in quite the same way. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about pacing yourself, where I explore how you can improve your focus and expand your creativity through the simple act of slowing down. This episode zeroes in on what is perhaps the single biggest drag on our attention and our energy here in the dumpster fire, otherwise known as the year 2017. And that's an exceedingly toxic news cycle. Acts of violence, intolerance, and political acrimony pulsed through our news feeds and into our bloodstreams like pure anxiety from an IV drip that we voluntarily plug ourselves into every day. And I know I've been wondering, and I think we've all been wondering, isn't there a better way? Is it possible to stay in touch with what's going on in the world without having this constant feeling of panicky despair? And what's the best way to manage our media intake so that we can remain vigilant and be good citizens without getting overwhelmed or starting to feel apathetic. To help me wrestle with these not-so-easy-to-answer questions, I enlisted Anne Friedman, a whip-smart writer who wears many hats in the media world. She's a journalist who writes regularly for New York Magazine and the LA Times, a podcaster who co-hosts the thought-provoking and quite funny show Call Your Girlfriend, and the curator of a really wonderful newsletter about current events that I look forward to receiving every week. In an effort to explore the possibility of a calmer approach to news consumption, Anne and I talk about her personal methods for sifting through the news and staying sane, whether the Twitter hive mind is a good thing or a bad thing, and why you really, really don't need to have push notifications turned on to stay in touch. We also get into the pros and cons of reading the news on your smartphone versus in print or on a Kindle, and how to navigate social media when you need to be on it for work purposes, but don't necessarily want to fall into a morass of distraction and despair. Let's dive in. So I feel like we could do sort of a BC and AD version, basically, right, of what processing the news felt like before and after Trump. If you can kind of cast your mind back to the salad days before November 8th, 2016, what, what was your attitude about the news then and how has it kind of changed since well, here's a reality check. It was not the salad days before November 8th. It was like a really difficult uh, election preceded by a very difficult primary. Um, also a period during which like police were killing unarmed black Americans weekly. Um, like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that I... 100% understand why this presidency in particular is difficult for news consumers. But like, at least for me personally, I feel like the news has felt unrelentingly pretty negative for, I don't know, two years at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe more. Um, I, I don't know. I, I um, So yeah, so just to push back a little bit about the time frame, because I think that we have this great one thing that makes us great as humans is this like built in amnesia that like we can somehow date difficult experiences to like starting at a certain time and place. And in fact, like I think it's just been a slow build as um, media and like as 
has come to take up more and more of everyone's life. But so what do you think that's about, whether we date it to, you know, last fall or we date it to a couple of years ago? What do you think what do you think is driving that shift and and how is it if it all kind of changed, you know, your perspective? Um, well, everybody is addicted to their phones and to checking in all the time. So like maybe the real place to date this two would be like widespread adoption of smartphones and social media. Like maybe that's kind of where I, where I put it, but the way, the way I read the news has definitely changed over the past few years, which is to say that now when I am on like Twitter or increasingly less frequently Facebook, or when I am like opening the many email newsletters or like headline dumps that I get from major news organizations, I'm kind of in more like news collecting mode. I like bookmark everything that looks of interest to me. I put it all into my Instapaper or pocket and it sits there until the end of my workday when I read everything on my Kindle or like sometimes the end of my day day when I read things on my Kindle. Every once in a while I'll do it like, you know, two days worth. But I've really separated my gathering or that kind of like glassy eyed scrolling phase from my news reading or like my current events reading, which kind of tends to happen in a separate time and space where I'm more reflective. Um, That has helped me a lot. Uh, I mean, I still feel that like rising sense of panic when I'm on Twitter, when something like absolutely unbelievable is happening in the news and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, my echo chamber is making this so much worse, but also like, thank God, all these other people are also freaking out about this news. Um, separating, separating that experience from, I actually read what's going on and read the quotes and process. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, and that is partially because I don't like often when I am in looking at Twitter mode, say, for example, I'm looking for things to like spark an idea for a column or for a story or like finding something that we could maybe talk about on the podcast. Um, and then, you know, I don't want to break up my flow of that kind of search mode by stopping, um, to like get, go deep on an investigative report that I know is not related. I like being able to table that and come back to it later. So, um, you know, not doing everything in real time is a skill that I've really adopted and made a part of my life in the past couple of years. So you do still, you know, sort of skim social media on kind of a more, you know, surface level during the day, but you don't kind of go in depth in terms of like really reading, you know, digging into stuff until kind of a separate window. Generally, yes. I mean, there are exceptions to that. There are things that I'm like, oh, my God, I must read that. Or maybe it's my lunch break. But yeah, more or less, I'm kind of I kind of separate the like the scrolling searching from the, the reading part of it. And um And really at this point, the only, I mean, I don't really think of Instagram as like a news social media. Like I really Mm -hmm. see that more as like personal catch up. So really the only news social media I use these days is, is Twitter. Um, I deleted Facebook from my phone. I deleted it from my bookmarks. I didn't, I didn't like not, I didn't get off of Facebook or anything dramatic. I just like, I check it like once every third day now to Mm -hmm. see that. No, you know, like it's, it's still there and no one has added me in anything super controversial, but I'm I'm pretty much just emotionally divested from Facebook altogether. And do you get notifications on your phone? 
Newsweek. Hell no. I get no notifications on my phone. The only notifications I get are like text messages and phone calls. And so actually I got really upset. My like my weed clinic texted me that my that my, <laughs> I needed to renew my weed card. And I was like, who's who got the how'd you get this number? You know, like because it's it's truly like only real humans contact. If something is popping up on my phone, it's a real human being who wants to talk to me. And I it's funny, I made this decision before um, news organizations started really abusing their push alert privilege. Um, but I think that based on like anecdotally hearing, hearing friends talk about them. I mean, I see some appalling push notifications screenshot when I'm like doing my Twitter scroll where I'm mm-hmm. like, thank God I have not allowed you access into my day to day. So also at this point in time, if something really major happens, if someone is like indicted or if there's like a big, you know, act of violence or something like that, like, um, almost always I am either at home near a computer and I kind of see it anyway, or I'm with a group of people and they all get the push notification. (laughs) So I really, I really believe pretty strongly that like in, in deciding how and when, um, news organizations get to access me. Yeah. Yeah. And I have the, I have the same feeling about notifications. Like whenever people have push notifications on for news, it just blows my mind. Well, it's like, and I, and I, I also, I, same thing goes for like interactions on social media. So like, you know, every time someone like likes my Instagram post, I'm not seeing a push notification and the apps can't stand it. Like every time I look at, um, a social app on my phone, they're like, are you sure you don't want push notifications? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Can we push? Can we push? And it's like, no, (laughs) I really like, I turned this off for a reason. I like, I X out of that option pretty much every time I log into Instagram. Well, following that a little bit more on the social media side, I kind of get this feeling sometimes when, you know, and particularly maybe when I'm on Twitter and you're, you know, sharing certain news items or being outraged by certain news items. Sometimes it feels like it's kind of, um, I don't know, almost becoming this sort of stand-in for taking any kind of real political action or fighting back. Like it feel like it makes you sort of feel like you're doing something, um, but it's not, you know, in in the grand scheme of things, like it's not really doing very much. Is that something you've thought about at all? Oh yeah, completely. Like, and I I do think that like you know, if I sit back and think about like what did I do today, I never include like tweeted. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, I can be like called, called three members of Congress and did some research for an article I'm going to write and, you know, maybe read the entire a section of the newspaper. You know what I mean? Like those things are like things I did today, but, um, it's pretty rare that I would think of contributing on social media as like, you know, an accomplishment. And you're right. Like there is a sense, I mean, I, I don't know though, like whether say someone who feels like they've tweeted and therefore contributed, whether in the past that person would have called their congressperson and felt they've contributed and now they've replaced it with Twitter. Like, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. the case. I think it's just Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, it is like, it's a place where we all go to freak out together. Um, and you know, in the same way that like sitting around and complaining with your friends about the state of the world is not productive, um, you know, in an immediate sense, but I do think it can help people, um, connect some dots, maybe like form, form some ideas about things. I think certain long running, um, news stories, like, you know, like, that like black lives matter, not as a hashtag, but as like being part of an ecosystem where like, you know, I, I see people around me being outraged by the same type of news over and over. Like that has an Mm -hmm. effect on how I feel politically about Mm -hmm. that issue. For example, you know, I don't think that 
Um, and I think that's like a really interesting example of like sustained action and like broader impact coming out of the like kind of day to day news frenzy, right? Like this, this sense of like, um, it's, oh, we're seeing a repeated narrative. That means it's bigger than this. And like, and part of the mm-hmm. way that you see that's a repeated narrative is people repeat the narrative, you know, like they say again, <laughs> yeah. this has happened. And so, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think there are also examples of things that are, um, that are more flash in the pan and then go away and no one ever follows up on like the, the news item again, like everyone's outraged for three hours and then it goes away. So, um, I think that there are, there are, there are different examples, but I wouldn't say it's like, I actually don't think that, that the Twitter hive mind is always a bad thing when it comes, especially when it comes to gaining visibility for certain things that might be buried, you know, in like, you know, deep, deep within a news website, like covered in kind of a small way in like regional news, but like, you know, because social media exists, we can connect them to a broader story. Like, I don't know. I think, I think that is valuable sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the amazing things about Twitter is how much you can shift your own perspective just by choosing, you know, which people and sort of which communities to follow, you know, as to really expand what type of, you know, sort of breaking information you're getting in contrast to, you know, whatever, what the large news organizations are writing about. Like for me, that's been such an amazing shift in terms of, um, being able to sort of tap into what different people are saying. Totally. Yeah. And I, I do think that, um, you know, and maybe that is one reason why I prefer something like Twitter where there is not, um, a reciprocity, like a tough thing about Facebook, for example, is like, I don't want to be friends with Facebook on Facebook with anyone who's not my friend, because it has this kind of built in reciprocity. And I know you can like toggle the settings and blah, blah, blah. But the assumption on Facebook is you're following each other. And I think what's kind of nice about Twitter is like, as you say, you can build, um, you can build like the, the filters you want for the news. Um, and you know, that's something that I do think about a lot. And I also like it as, as just a way of, I mean, even things that that are not hard news, like just being culturally more in tune with things that are not part of my immediate world or not part of my friend circle in the Facebook sense or the IRL sense, you know? We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, but stay tuned because afterwards, Anne and I talk about what you can do about that panicky sensation that you get when you've consumed too much news via social media and how we can all avoid turning into Fox or MSNBC zombies. Hey guys, it's me again, but now there's commercial break music playing in the background. So I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you that if you like this podcast, there's a 99.9% chance that you will also like my weekly newsletter, which is all about how to find more creativity and meaning in your daily work. Every Thursday, I send out an email that shares my recent writing and ideas, as well as a tightly curated collection of the smartest articles and tips on getting stuff done, being more creative, and working at a sustainable pace. The newsletter also contains, of course, updates on the latest Hurry Slowly podcast episodes, as well as the live events that I just started doing. So if you'd like to stay in the loop and feed your brain even more great stuff every week, you can sign up for the newsletter at hurryslowly.co. That's hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. Do you think there's anything sort of else positive to say about the news cycle at this point in time and this sort of like super, super fast flow that's happening? 
Yeah, I think, well, I think a lot about how, um, you know, well, I'm 35 years old, so there's like a lot of large scandals in this country's history that I did not live through personally. And I think a lot about how, like, when there's like feminist drama on my corner of the internet, I'm like, is this how it felt for like the second waivers? Or when there's like a, you know, like, like, you know, I was just talking about Black Lives Matter, like, oh, is this how it felt to like, participate in or witness the civil rights movement in real time? Like, you know, like trying to find historical analogs and like, put myself like, am I worrying too much? Am I not doing enough? Like those kind of questions that we all have when like the news concerns us. I, um, and I, I don't have a way of like, access, I don't know how it felt, you know, <laughs> I can't access mm-hmm. how it felt in real time to, um, to read or like consume the news about like other, you know, massive things happening in the world. Um, you know, I do know that, at least now when I am feeling like there is definitely a a feeling of like, say I check, you know, Twitter first thing in the morning when I wake up, like, like let's say I have a morning like that. And there's just the sense of like, Oh my God, like, you know, a fascist regime is imminent. Like the, the, the environment is collapsing. Like, you know, like every, you know, that, that like gloom and doom sense of like, it's a relentless bad news and no one cares except for the other people in my Twitter feed. And we're not real anyway, that feeling, um, I do think that is like, a is not a feeling that I have when I consume news, like in the newspaper in quite the same way. Like I still get angry and I still like, um, I feel like I want to figure out how to do something about it, but it's, it doesn't have that same, there's, there is a distinct like panic feeling I get when I have Mm -hmm. consumed too much negative news via social media. Um, Mm -hmm. and that for me is a sign to just like not stop consuming the news, but just consume it directly. Like open a magazine. I subscribe to approximately one bajillion, like, you know, like open a magazine, (laughs) like, like go to an actual news organization's website, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and I find I've done a lot of that shifting from reading stuff online to, yeah, more like weeklies, more monthlies, more, as you say, kind of Sunday paper, because you do get more of that long view, but also just the experience itself, right? Reading something on paper as opposed to sort of being lost in this sea of chatter um, feels, uh, you know, much more manageable and, um, I guess, you know, much less anxiety ridden in many ways. Yeah. And just like really paying attention to, I think for me, what am I actually reading? Like when I click through to something from Twitter, am I reading beyond the first half of the article? I mean, sometimes yes, but like sometimes no. And, uh, and just, and just asking whether I'm having like a reading experience or whether I'm having like, you know, what's the opposite of a push notification when I actively go after the most salacious like headline, you know, there's like, like I'm pulling in only, only like the information that, um, is being, is being dangled in front of me. Like that's a very different experience than a reading the news experience, you know, kind of shifting gears. Is there anything that you do to try and balance kind of how much time you want to spend sort of consuming versus how much time you spend creating and, you can kind of feel free to respond to that in terms of just consuming the news versus doing your writing or like more broadly, just kind of consuming the news, Netflix, Hulu, et cetera, versus, you know, doing writing or other creative activities. 
Um, yeah, well, I, I really subscribe to a garbage in garbage out philosophy, which is if, you know, if I'm exclusively scrolling through Twitter, I mean, I, we all waste days like this, right. Where I'm like, I'm meant to be looking for an, an idea for this column or like, I, I think I'm researching for a thing I've already got assigned. Um, and I end up just like losing like three hours while I'm clicking around the internet. Like that feels terrible. Um, it never feels very good. I tend to do better if I, um, you know, have an experience where I'm like reading a book or I'm, you know, doing something where I'm like, I'm reading articles I've collected for the day and I can kind of step back, like things I've already identified as probably meaningful to me, that kind of consumption. Um, I mean, and I still watch like, you know, junk television or like reruns of things I've already seen 1 million times to relax, but <laughs> I don't think of that as part of my creative process. You know, I don't think of that yeah. as, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe it is a little bit of garbage in, but, um, I don't know. I, I think that like you, especially for writers, um, what you write is naturally informed by what you are reading. And so if you're only reading like very kind of quick hit, um, or like snarky internet things, like it's very difficult to write in a way that feels like it's going to last more than 24 hours. And, um, so I don't know. So I do, I really, I really do make an effort to, to read. And I, you know, I read like, I wouldn't say it's like a book a week, but sometimes it is when I'm at home and I'm in my routine. Um, and being kind of committed to that is important. Recognizing for me when I'm just feeling like creatively depleted and thinking a little bit about, um, how I can step back, um, for mm -hmm. me is, for me is a part of it as well. Uh, often that is consuming things that are not words, you know, like one of the great things about being a freelancer, going to a museum in the middle of the day or mm -hmm. stopping to watch a movie that I never seem to want to watch right before bed at night, but like would be, you know, like I watched all of the handmaid's tale in the daylight hour. I was like, I cannot watch this after dark, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, it, whatever it might be. Like, um, I, I do think that, that, um, for me, helps me spark some new ideas and make, make connections. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned earlier that you kind of, um, have, you know, your, your system set up to send everything to your Kindle, is that deliberate in terms of, you know, not reading stuff on a phone, not reading stuff on a laptop? Yeah. I can't be trusted with a phone. Like if I'm going to read a book, it's because my phone is plugged in and probably in a different room and I'm sitting elsewhere. I spend a lot of time on my porch in sunny Los Angeles where my, my phone is inside and I'm sitting outside with a book or like with the Kindle. Um, yeah, I have no willpower. Like if my phone is near me, I'm just, I'm just like on Instagram or something, you know I mean? It's so being, being good about physically removing the temptation to not do what I would rather be doing. Um, because yeah. my, my lizard, brain is like very good at just scrolling and liking and scrolling and liking. Yeah. I was literally just reading a study that was kind of about if your phone's off, even in airplane mode, even in the same room with you, it still just drains away cognitive energy, even if you think that you're focused, which is pretty remarkable. And yeah. Different. I mean, yeah. And I, and I work all day, like with my email open in a tab and I know that that's not the most efficient thing to do. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. I'd say I'm not, I do not mean to be like, well, me, like the Zen master of, of digital <laughs> like consumption. I just, you know, I, I definitely have learned though, if I'm like, you know, if I'm ever going to get through a fraction of the books on my, like, you know, to read list, it's going to be done because my phone's in another room. <laughs> Is there anyone who you've observed or talked to who's made any kind of changes to their sort of media diet or habits that, um, you thought were interesting hmm. or sort of worth talking about or sharing know. at all? I mean, 
I, I've been thinking a lot about a friend of mine. Well, so, so let me back up. Like, I, I think that, um, a lot of us, especially like white people who are from not traditionally liberal parts of America have some older relative in our lives who is like, who's been brainwashed by Fox news. Um, Mm -hmm. like it's happened to people I love. It's like, you know, we're like one minute, they're kind of like normal critical thinkers who maybe disagree with me on some issues, but like are totally up for engaging. And then they're like a weird zombie a few years later after like an illness has kept them in front of the television. Um, (laughs) I recently watched someone I love go through that process, but like on the left, like become like a kind of like MSNBC zombie, um, (laughs) who is like only reading like, you know, the kind of like very alarmist corners of Twitter that are like in like, I don't know, tonally, it just felt very similar. I had never seen that happen before. Um, you know, on the opposite side of the political spectrum. And I guess this is more of a cautionary tale than like a, here's a positive story about how someone has changed their consumption, but it, it (laughs) changed, it changed a little bit like how I, how I thought about, I mean, I'm someone who's long held the belief that there's no such thing as like impartial media. That's definitely not true, but there is a specific tone associated with like, I think hyper, hyper ideological cable news in particular that I find really difficult. And it it was a real wake up call for me to watch a friend of mine. And it definitely has been not post-election, but like during the campaign. And then, and then since then, um, a thing that I've, that I've watched for a little more and tried to watch for in myself. It can be very hard when you're reading news that like, frankly should inspire alarm (laughs) to figure out how to like, continue to be like a critical person and interrogate even like the alarming news and not, I don't know. I don't know. Like there, it is, Mm -hmm. there are certain things that about this moment that, um, I think that I'll probably be more articulated, articulate about in retrospect, but I, I know I don't want to become the kind of lefty equivalent of like the Fox news zombie. Like that's a thing Mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I guess, yeah, maybe the question is like, what's the, what's the best way to avoid becoming a zombie, whichever side you're on. And I I think part of it is like, you know, reading, reading beyond the headline. Like that's, that's a real thing. Reading beyond like the tweet about the headline. Um, I think that that can really, that can really help reading actual reporting and actual research like that can help. Um, You know, and it's obviously different, right? I mean, I think that like, I don't mean to say that no one on MSNBC is doing actual journalism and citing research because, because they are, but, um, they're, it's, it can be hard to find this balance of like consuming the news and feeling alarmed without like placing everything into kind of like a category of like conspiracy or, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a tricky, it's a tricky line to being a critical news consumer um, about all kinds of media at this point, I think, I think is challenging. As Anne pointed out early on in our conversation, part of the panic and anxiety induced by the news is about the events that are unfolding. But part of it is also about the rise of the smartphone itself and the pace and volume and frequency with which we consume the news. Now we skate along the surface of our feeds and scroll through social media, unwittingly privileging quantity over context. So it's good to remember that we do have alternatives to scrolling and liking and scrolling and freaking out, and that the sheer unlimitedness of scrolling itself might be part of the problem, that we can seek shelter in old technologies like newspapers and magazines which put current events in perspective and constrain our consumption by necessity. 
because printed objects, unlike our breathless news feeds, must have a start and a finish. As Anne said, not doing everything in real time is a key skill that she's developed in the past few years. One that's essential for consuming the news in a non-panicky manner, but also one that's essential for consuming anything in this information overloaded era. Email comes to mind as another example of something that we can no longer do in real time. And so, as always in this technology-addled age, it comes back to mindfulness. Paying attention to what you're paying attention to and why. Because if we don't, we might all be destined to become zombies. Next week on the show, I'll be talking to Scott Belsky, an investor, author, and entrepreneur who co-founded Behance in 2006 and led the company as CEO for seven years until its acquisition by creative giant Adobe in 2013. Our conversation centers on a topic where many of us are good at taking a slow approach, perhaps too slow, and that's decision-making, a mysterious process that seems to happen at very different speeds depending on the situation. Scott and I get into the benefits of quick decisions versus wise decisions, when you should trust your gut, and why data isn't as important as we think when it comes to making the right choice. And now, it's time for your final moment of zen. What's the best decision you've ever made? I don't know. I think that, like, you know, a lot of the good decisions I made didn't feel like decisions that happened in an instant or like I didn't sit down to be like, I'm going to make a decision and I've made it. Like there are things that I kind of Mm -hmm. decided, um, you know, in little ways that added up to like, you know, when I was fired and was kind of toying with getting a staff job and didn't get another staff job and ended up being a freelancer. Like that was a choice. Like I chose to kind of put things in place to make that happen. But I, it wasn't like I sat down and was like, am I going to be a freelance writer or not? Okay, let's do it. You know what I mean? But ultimately (laughs) I think that series of decisions has made me very, very happy. And so that would be an answer to that question, even though it's funny because it wasn't, I don't think of it as like a decision. You know what I mean? Like in the kind of like, pros and cons list way. Yeah, it's a slow burn. Yeah. This show was produced by Matt Susich, who I communicate with almost entirely via text message. Our theme song, Calm Revelation, was written by Devin Craig Johnson. If you enjoyed this show, we would love it if you wrote us a review on iTunes. Every rating helps us get a little bit closer to being featured in the new and notable section. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember to scroll slowly.